This podcast is brought to you by the American Thoracic Society. We help the world breathe. Welcome to another episode of Out of the Blue podcast. My name is John Fleetham and I'm Professor of Medicine at the University of British Columbia, Vancouver, Canada. Today I'm joined by Dr. Joseph Lunard, who's the senior author of the paper Tuberculous Diagnoses Following Wildfire Smoke Exposure in California, which was recently published in the Blue Journal. We're also joined by Dr. William Checkley, who wrote the associated editorial. Dr. Lunard is Assistant Professor of Epidemiology at Berkeley University of California, and Dr. Checkley is an Associate Professor of Medicine at John Hopkins School of Medicine in Baltimore. Now, we, before we discuss the paper, I'd like to start with a couple of general questions about tuberculosis. Will, how common is tuberculosis and what are the common risk factors? Well, thank you for having me on today. So worldwide, uh, tuberculosis remains an important public health problem. It's the uh, 13th cause of death, and it's the second leading infectious killer after COVID-19, that's about, about 1.6 million people died in 2021. And in that same year, in 2021, there was an estimated 10.6 million people that fell ill with tuberculosis worldwide. And you'll find tuberculosis in all countries and in all age groups. In the US, the highest burden occurs among immigrants in endemic countries. And specifically in this group, as estimated in 2021, Kind of the case rate is about 12 per 100,000 people compared to about 2.4 in the general population. Now, what is already known about environmental exposures as a risk factor for tuberculosis? Well, it's a, they're an increasingly recognized risk factor for tuberculosis. You know, just both occupational exposures to silica for mining and tobacco smoking are associated with increased risk of tuberculosis disease. Air pollution from other sources is a less well-studied risk factor, but there's mounting evidence. For example, there was a cohort study of about 100,000 participants in Taiwan that found uh, that higher ambient uh, PM2.5 concentrations was a possibility associated with active tuberculosis. In another time series analysis in China that looked at about 10,000 cases of tuberculosis also found positive associations between higher levels of air pollutants and a higher number of, of tuberculosis cases. And then finally, there was a meta-analysis that involved 24 studies and looked at around 400,000 tuberculosis cases. And they found that higher ambient concentrations for a variety of air pollutants, like fine particulate matter, coarse particulate matter, or PM10, and then sulfur dioxide were, were also associated with a higher incidence of tuberculosis. Uh, now, this, this particular paper dealing with wildfires, which uh, also leads to gross exposures and air pollution, is of interest for, for the same reason, kind of helping us build the evidence around uh, the relationship between tuberculosis and air pollution. Joe, what was the objective of your study? Well, we know that tuberculosis is a significant problem in California and one which affects multiple distinct communities. Obviously, we have a very large and highly diverse foreign-born population, including many individuals coming from tuberculosis endemic regions, but also 
We do know that somewhere around about 10% of cases in the state are suspected to involve recent transmission, and this includes some of the high-risk communities mentioned by Dr. Checkley, uh, including homeless persons and, and others. So this is certainly a, a relevant problem to study locally. And then in relation to this, we also know that ambient air pollution exposures are increasing in frequency in association with wildfire smoke in especially recent years. There have been several very notable years in terms of large wildfire smoke exposures across the state. 2020 comes to mind for many who who lived here, 2018 and, and others when really wildfires have occurred simultaneously across multiple regions of the state and individuals throughout almost all of California did indeed have exposures during those years. What was your study design and, and population methodology? Our study design took advantage of surveillance, which is conducted in this state, identifying all new active tuberculosis diagnoses who are reported to California Department of Public Health. We used a case crossover study design in order to investigate risk factors for tuberculosis associated with differences in exposures immediately preceding a tuberculosis diagnosis over, over three to six month range or exposures that occurred during the same time one year before and were thus not necessarily associated with the timing of a new tuberculosis case onset. And we undertook this approach because there are some unique challenges that occur when trying to study tuberculosis risk factors in population-based data, such as those that were obtained from this surveillance methodology. I think the most notable of these is that communities such as immigrant communities, homeless and, and other communities at high risk for tuberculosis have relatively uncertain denominators. And so monitoring incidents in a prospective way within these communities can be quite difficult. So the opportunity to look at things using the case crossover methodology, comparing hazard and control periods from the same individual, where it was quite a desirable way of mitigating some of these challenges that might otherwise be present. And how did you assess exposure to wildfire smoke? With each individual case that was reported to California Department of Public Health, we had information on their residential geolocation, which we were able to overlay with data from air monitoring stations and smoke plume boundaries to define for each individual throughout a two-year period before their tuberculosis diagnosis, what kind of exposures they had to acute PM 2.5 events, if you will, when concentrations of, of PM 2.5 at their residential location were high. And then, of course, as well, whether these PM 2.5 events were associated with wildfires based on whether they were contained within smoke plumes associated with wildfire events that were ongoing. And what were the primary findings of your study? Our primary finding was that having a PM 2.5 event or in a, a day when concentrations of PM 2.5 were high, about 5% higher odds of occurring during the hazard period about three to six months preceding an individual's diagnosis than during a control period uh, separated from this by a year. So periods immediately preceding a diagnosis were more likely to have a event in which individuals were exposed to high PM 2.5 concentrations in their residential location. And this 
Association was driven entirely by wildfire events. We saw up to a 23% higher odds of seeing a wildfire event during an individual's hazard period as compared to a control period one year before their diagnosis. And there was no independent association with non-wildfire events, which are, of course, associated with far lower PM2.5 concentrations in comparison to wildfire events. What was also interesting to note was that there are differences in the clinical presentation among cases that appear following a wildfire event in comparison to cases that appear that, that are diagnosed um, in the absence of any recent acute PM2.5 exposures. So wildfire-associated cases, if you will, are more likely to present before they become smear positive and have a modestly higher likelihood of having a clinical record that indicates symptoms were the primary reason for evaluation. And of course, this is interesting because it raises the possibility that wildfire exposure is precipitating acute symptoms earlier than they would otherwise occur in the disease process and sort of leading to diagnosis at a stage when it would otherwise not necessarily be expected to occur. I mean, if you if you compare these characteristics of the wildfire-associated and non-wildfire-associated cases. Now, is the increased risk which you found related to wildfire smoke exposure the same in all individuals who've been in contact with tuberculosis? We were primarily interested in looking at this, uh, thinking it would be a risk factor for individuals who have latent or, if you will, even remote infection uh, lasting a while since an exposure, for instance, in an endemic setting. But what was interesting to note was that this association was apparent both for cases that were not suspected to have recent transmission, as well as those who were suspected to have recent transmission, which is defined by a detection of molecularly similar TB lineages within the same community in a recent time frame, which does suggest that this is apparent for, for both types of cases. Of course, it's important to note that recent transmission is pretty rare in comparison to foreign acquired cases within the state. About, about 10% of cases are associated with recent transmission, but it was an interesting finding to note. Well, what are the major strengths and limitations of this study? Well, in terms of strengths, it's the use of a novel epidemiological approach to study the relationship between tuberculosis and wildfire pollution. The type of analysis it uses is actually quite powerful because it helps to look at cases and they serve as their own controls. The other part is that it, the study took advantage of a large grid of air pollution monitors in California, and that, that is a strength. In terms of limitation, there uh, you have to think about the latency between the window of, of uh, wildfire smoke exposure and the development of active tuberculosis as, as a potential concern. Confounding always comes to mind, and even though cases serve as own control, so there's a good amount of uh, those confounders that could be can be accounted for, there's still a lack of control for time-varying confounders within kind of the same individual. And even though I mentioned as a strength that you have this large grid of air pollution monitors, you know, one, one possibility is the inaccuracies and in kind of air pollution assignments, because we're using, the study was using methods based on inverse distance weighing to estimate air pollution for, you know, particular participants. Now, your editorial is entitled Tuberculosis, Wildfires, and Crossover Studies, an Epidemiological Trifactor. Can you explain what you mean by this? Well, we scientists love editorials with catchy titles. And so why a trifecta? 
Because when you put all three together, and I mean tuberculosis, you know, just uh, looking at wildfires and case crossover studies, you make a winning combination. So the use of this like novel epidemiological study design to uh, evaluate an important disease worldwide with an exposure that is growing in importance due to climate change makes that a winning combination. So if it's not a if that is not a scientific trifecta, then what is? Joe, how do your findings compare with other studies examining air pollution and TB risk? There are limited other studies that specifically compare to TB risk to wildfire smoke exposures. However, there are other studies that compare TB risk among individuals with differing exposures to ambient air pollution exposures that, at least in the U.S. context, are far lower in terms of PM2.5 concentrations than those associated with wildfire smoke exposures as we look at in this study. However, there are a number of ecological studies that do suggest that periods with acute higher PM2.5 exposure concentrations do lead to higher risk for TB diagnoses. Many of these were undertaken in China where pollution may in fact be higher and more similar to what we see with these wildfire associated events. But more broadly, I think it's interesting to note that that this exposure to indoor air pollution, especially associated with indoor biomass burning or cigarette smoke is, is a well-known risk factor for tuberculosis. And of course, the composition of wildfire smoke in many ways resembles the composition of these other well-documented indoor air pollution exposures, which does also lend some biological and substantive plausibility to the nature of our findings. Now, do you have any additional comments about the limitations of case crossover design studies? I think that the key limitation to consider, of course, is that confounding may still be present, even though we can rule out many of the hard to document sources of confounding that make differences between individuals. Vaccine problem in a lot of observational epidemiologic research, there are within individual issues that may be relevant to consider. So unmeasured characteristics that vary for an individual from one year to the next are, of course, important. Although I would say, broadly speaking, these are uh, slower to change. We look at only a one-year gap in time between individuals' hazard and control periods. And so hopefully these are generally more stable characteristics um, and, and not primary source of confounding that would remove the or 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 negate some of the benefits that we get by ruling out differences among individuals as a source of confounding here. Well, are these findings going to change practice on how we screen patients with active tuberculosis? What it does, it, it brings mounting, it brings additional evidence to the importance of air pollution in the etiology of, of tuberculosis. And do you have any final comments you'd like to make about your study? I think it'll be interesting as we go forward to learn more about the broad health effects of wildfire smoke exposures, including but not limited to those on, on respiratory diseases such as tuberculosis. Given the increasing frequency that we encounter wildfire smoke in California and other regions of the U.S., as well as globally, and in particular, as these exposures may become more common in the context of climate change. So there will be value in knowing what we should be on the lookout for clinically and what interventions might be needed in order to reduce health risks associated with this increasing exposure. Well, I think one of the, yes, one of the things that you, you mentioned, how common is tuberculosis, and if you wanted to talk about the risk factors as well. So, you know, what are the common risk factors for tuberculosis? 
if you wanted to add that in. So, you know, as, as with any infection, you need to be exposed to tuberculosis. And there are three broad categories of risk factors. One is close contacts with somebody who has tuberculosis, and that includes people who've emigrated from endemic areas, you know, groups that have high rates of tuberculosis transmission, such as homeless persons, uh, IV drug users, and persons with HIV infection. And also uh, people who, who work or reside in the same facilities or institutions of groups that have high risk of tuberculosis includes hospitals, homeless shelters, correctional facilities, nursing homes, and the residential home for those with HIV. Kind of the second category is just uh, medical conditions that, that weaken the immune system. So HIV is, is an important risk factor. And other conditions include diabetes, severe kidney disease, malnutrition, cancers and organ transplants, and just uh, medical treatments such as corticosteroids and even steroid-bearing immunosuppressants can play a role. And substance abuse also plays a role, in particular alcohol. And then the final, final category is environmental and occupational risk factors, which include, uh, as I mentioned earlier, silicosis from mining and, and other sources, tobacco smoking, and air pollution including wildfires. So I'd like to thank Dr. Lunard and, and Dr. Chekfeet very much for this interesting discussion. To the listener, to read the articles discussed in this podcast, please visit the podcast homepage at www.atsjournals.org. To listen to more episodes of Out of the Blue, visit our page on iTunes or Google Play. You can also subscribe to stay updated whenever new episodes are available. Thank you again for listening. Thank you.